Our show sponsors and your donations make Adventure Rider Radio possible. And without the sponsors, we just couldn't do it. So if you're looking for something for your bike, consider shopping the companies that help bring Adventure Rider Radio to you every week for free. Thanks. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting Adventure Riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. If you're still packing canned beans, spam, and ready-made meals for your bike trips, we've got a huge step up for you today. We're going to be talking about food and cooking with people that have been on the road, on their motorcycles, more than most of us could imagine. We're going to get some great tips and ideas that could change the way you eat on the road, and it should. It's camping, but you can still eat good quality food that's tasty. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Motobreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any drive bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system and of course green chili adventure gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding and that has gained them a top reputation for tough reliable gear www.greenchiliadv.com that's www.greenchiliadv.com I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Dustin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hedstead. Dr. Gregor W. Fraser. Dave Farr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schmutz. Brett Tack. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Hey, I'm Carol DeBell, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. So have you been in the position before where you're sitting at the campfire with your friends? You're sitting there eating your, maybe your beans or some other canned surprise you have, and your friends are eating this gourmet dinner they made with ingredients from their pannier. Or maybe you're one of those people who actually think that the hot dogs you cook when you're on a trip are gourmet because you like to add chili sauce and maybe a bit of cheese. Well, no matter. Today we have some tips from the real world. Real world riders that have many miles under their tires and that have managed to adapt their cooking for the road and have it still taste good.
Simon and Lisa Thomas have been living off their bikes for 14 years now. And over that time, they've survived and thrived on their own cooking. I mean, you can eat hot dogs for a while and stay healthy, but not 14 years. No, the Thomases must have something figured out because they're about to launch a brand new cookbook that's designed to take your panniers and make it into a tasty kitchen that you never knew you had. Simon and Lisa, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having us. Nice to be back. Well, you guys have a new book coming out, a new cookbook. Actually, it's your first ever book, isn't it? This is the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Long time coming. And it is a it is a production. Well, first of all, whose who's book is this? Is it, is it a collaborative effort or is it? Because I see Lisa Thomas written at the bottom. I don't see Simon. It is, it is Lisa's book. It has been a very much a joint effort and it's taken i think it's i think it's fair to say it's taken a lot more effort and time and resource than either of us imagined it would do uh, my responsibility was photography compositing uh layout um making it look pretty making yeah <laughs> hopefully making it look like something that you want to go and buy and enjoy and it does. I'm looking at your pre-release copy and I mean, it, it's really well done. Like you've done a great job. You've you really hit a home run here. Thank you. That's Thank nice you. to hear because yeah. not many people have seen that advanced reader copy. Well, let's, um, let's talk about the book. So it's, it's, a, it's called Dirty Dining and it's a cookbook. What is it about? Other than don't just say cooking. <laughs> well, um, these part of the, the title, Dirty Dining and Adventurer's Cookbook, um, I wanted to produce a, a simple, uh, easy to follow cookbook, um, and, but also to make fun with cooking whilst you're on the road. Because part of this is trying to get the, um, the, like when you're, you guys have been traveling for now for 14 years, I think something like that. You, you've got to worry about nutrition when you're on the road. I mean, I guess you can get by with it maybe for a few days in a, in a week, but if you're on the road for an extended period of time, you want to eat good meals and you want to eat nutritious meals. Is that sort of what the book's about as well? Yeah, um, pretty much. I mean, the book, the book actually came around as an idea whilst we were, I think in our second or third week in Mongolia. And we, I mean, Mongolia is a great country to ride, but the access to food, to provisions, to water was really one of the toughest that we've we've dealt with. And we noticed that with very limited provisions, Lisa was still cooking up really great meals. Um, and she came up with this meal called Make Do Mongolian Stew, which is in the book. Um, and so the idea behind the book overall was to allow anybody easy access to recipes that would allow them to cook nutritious, great tasting meals with basic ingredients anywhere in the world. There are lots of cookbooks out there, but there's not many that you can just throw in a panier or in a backpack and and just pull out and go, okay, well, I've got some basic ingredients. What can I cook? And whereas many people like myself who will take a can of Spam and I'll make a sandwich, Lisa will turn it into chili con carne. And that's just not a skill that I've got. And so, yeah, that's pretty much the book. It's about eating or producing rather great tasting meals when you really don't have an awful lot of uh, ingredients or your access to shops and supermarkets is, you know, non-existent. But you still got to produce great meals that you actually want to eat. Because if you're out there riding, you've got to fuel your body. As I say in one little part of the book, you can't live on noodles and tuna for any more than a long weekend. 
um, nutrition levels of that would go right downhill. Um, so it's, it was crossing my mind that how to make meals on a very high nutritional standard when there really isn't anything around. So is the book for motorcyclists or just minimalists? Um, do you know what? And initially, we thought it was going to be for motorcyclists, but the the, the longer it took to write and the, and, the, and the more time we spent putting it together, the more we realized that it's actually for any overlander. So it's 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 really it started off being a motorcycle adventure eating book, and it's turned into something a little bit more. I, I guess I guess in six months or a year's time, we'll find out who's buying it and uh, give you a better answer. Well, Lisa, when it comes to figuring out these recipes, you say in here that it's designed for camping, let's say, for instance, or or traveling minimalistly. What is it about your style of cooking that makes it doable where uh, other cookbooks may cover things that you need a full kitchen for? Um, I carry the, the basic amount of herbs and spices, um, basic provisions to make, I think I say, anything nasty taste nice. Um so you, when you're on the road a lot of the time, you can find uh, pieces of meat. Um, it might not be high quality. So what I carry with me are things to, to make that uh, low-quality produce that you can pick up taste a lot nicer. Um, there's no dairy produce. So there's no refrigeration because we obviously don't carry a fridge with us. Um, so it, these meals are specifically without any dairy, which also helps for being a healthy diet as well. Um, it's a very real and raw ingredient list. Um, I mean, the book the book isn't designed to be a, um, a gourmet flavors of the world. This book is very much written within the confines of somebody who is real world traveling and only has access to limited stocks that they're buying from you know, street vendors and the items that they're carrying in their backpack or their pannier mm-hmm. or their four by four. There's no, there's, there's, there's no license taken saying, well, you could cook this if only you had this. Mm-hmm. If there's, there's no um, pre prepared stuff. I know a, a lot of camping cookbooks that are out there and they're all great, but they say prepare this at home before you leave to go on your trip. Well, we don't have a home and we're always on the road. And so I followed those principles that, you know, you are not going to be preparing anything, pre-preparing it and carrying it um, in your uh, rucksack or in your pannier uh, to then eat when you're on your vacation week. There is not one single recipe in the book that Lisa does not cook on a regular basis on our own travels. So you're talking about a basic um, sort of a staple kit. Is it a realistic kit that the average person could put together? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What kind I mean, of things? I, oh, uh, one of my favorite, which I will never go anywhere without, is honey. Mm. Have to have mm. honey. Um, and I would say that along with a, a nice amount of herbs. I mean, I, I do like spices. I, I carry quite a few spices like dried chili and things like that and paprikas because I like that in my meals Um, and in a lot of the recipes I give that as an option because I realize a lot of people uh, may prefer not to add that Uh, I also like like what you did at the end of the book where instead of producing whole meals Lisa just has a small list of marinades and sauces 
um, yeah. that she's produced and make and made up that you can put over pretty much anything you want, including your own recipes, just to take those perhaps basic ingredients that you've bought in the market and that tough piece of meat and turn it into something of your choosing that, that tastes good. Because at the end of the day, no matter how hungry you are, the food has to taste good. Otherwise, you're not going to eat it. Your energy is going to be affected and it's going to affect your trip and your riding. So is the idea then the person's going to take this book with them when they go? They can take it with them. They can leave it on the table. We're going to be producing um, several uh, electronic versions as well. There's going to be a number of people that want to take it on their phone. We're putting an app together. Um, we're producing Kindle versions. So again, if you're taking an electronic device, you can just pop it open, uh, grab the recipes that you fancy, and away you go. What you're talking about here then is you're saying you bring some your basic ingredients and then you just sort of find whatever whatever's available and then you're making your meals from that. Yeah, I mean some people some people are going to be traveling for a week or two weeks. Um, in which case you're not going to take an awful lot of ingredients. Chances are if you're traveling in the USA, you're going to have access to um, a range of uh, resource. Traveling further afield, you're going to pack your pannier with the basics. And we, we, we give a complete layer in the book of everything that we carry and that we recommend that you take along as a basic list. Uh, we give tips on how to pack, how to keep it dry, how to keep it secure. Um, it really it really does depend on how long you're traveling for. Um, and we try and cover a very wide gamut of situations. And the advice and the tips we give we think are as realistic um, as we can possibly make them. I think Lisa carries uh, around 14 herbs. Now, that sounds a lot, but without giving too much away, um, Lisa carries those herbs inside one of her camp pots, and the herbs are kept in small um, camera containers, camera film containers. Most camera stores are, will give them away. They're free. Uh, they're small, they're compact, they are waterproof, they're airproof, and 14 of those perfectly fits inside a regular um, camp pot. So what kind of recipes are we talking about? That's a great, ooh, well, I'll tell you what, one of, my, one of my favorites in the book is Lisa's uh, chicken curry. That was the first one that she made me cook, and I looked at it and I thought, that looks pretty complicated, and within 45 minutes we were done, sorted, it was cooked, and we were eating it. And I, and I nailed it. I got it right. You did. First time. I was really impressed. <laughs> um, there's, there's chili con carne. There's a variety of pastas. One of my favorites. I like the orange pork. Uh, That's fantastic. You like the orange pork, but my favorite is the Spanish chicken. I love that one. It's a really rich, tasty, comfort food type meal. Um, I also like the uh, desserts. They're pretty good too. Well, of course you do. I'm You've hungry. got a sweet tooth. I'm hungry now. <laughs> well, Simon, you, you've got a recipe in there as well, don't you? Some sort of sauce you've made? It's ba it's basically a very simple make do uh, sauce for a pasta, and the reason it's in the book is because it was one of the only things I knew how to cook as a teenager. And I think when I when I cooked for Lisa uh, when we were living at you home, you were trying back, to impress me. I really wanted to impress her. I uh, very Didn't nonchalantly work. threw in these these ingredients, and I put a little apron on, and I produced this meal, and it was it was good. It was good, yes. Um, yeah, so I thought I'd give him. 
just one little part in the book of the it's, recipe. <laughs> it's just one of my go-to sources. The, the ingredients are very simple, and it just it just produces a really good, flavorful sauce that makes any pasta taste great. And again, we've cooked it on the road on a regular basis. And then you can and add stuff to it, and it's even better. But the sauces, I've had the question that, you know, why don't you, um, you know, go and buy an instant sauce or a packet sauce, etc. cetera. Uh, it is much, much better to make your own sauces out of the produce that you can find. For one thing, it's healthier. They're less, um, they've got a, a massive amount of sodium it's in a lot of less expensive. packets. It is less expensive. Um, and you can't rely on packets a lot of the time when you you are way out i mean even if uh, you're in the mountains somewhere in the states it's not going to be easily accessible to find a a supermarket to pick up all this instant product so to to know how to make your own sources i think is a very important part of travel well anything that you buy in the supermarkets once that once that source whether it's in a packet or a jar is opened you have to consume it because you don't have a refrigerator as opposed to carrying the ingredients to make the sauce, which means that for the next few weeks or months, you can continue to make that sauce and you just make enough for the meal you, that you're about to eat or enjoy. You don't open a, you don't open the sauce and have to use it all just or because it you know away. it's going to ruin or throw it away. And you mentioned about taking questionable meat or, or maybe poor quality meat and making it into something that tastes good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are, there are certain types of meat that have a flavor that even even if it's not a bad flavor, sometimes your brain interprets it as unpleasant because it's an unfamiliar flavor. Um, the other issues you've got are just making sure that things are cooked appropriately to make them safe for consumption. Um, I mean, anyone that's been traveling overseas for a little while will tell you the unpleasantries of becoming ill on the road. And so the book, again, has a number of top tips about how to cook and how long for and how to tidy up, how to make absolutely sure that your risk of becoming ill is as low as possible. There's yeah. the, at, the, at the beginning of the book, uh, we talk about the idea of leave no trace, but your responsibility of going out in the world as a traveler and making sure that your impact and your footprint that you leave behind garbage and trash is minimal. Uh, we talk about the safety and the issues of building the perfect campfire uh, preparing where to cook and hygiene, um, hy- hygiene, what to carry, what equipment to carry. What I mean again, it's it's not it's not a complete blueprint, but it's it's what's worked for us and allowed us to stay healthy and fit yeah. on the road for fourteen years. The equipment that you, you're saying that you, you're suggesting that people have, or at least you're telling them what you use, this isn't the yeah. same stuff you've always used. Over the fourteen years, I guess you started out with one thing and and then sort of whittled it down to this stuff really works for you. Um, we've done a bit of both, actually. We've done a little bit of both, both, but 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 actually not as much as you would imagine. Um, we still use exactly the same uh, stove uh, setup that we have. We've only just replaced our uh, saucepans, so it was thirteen years our original ones lasted. Well, ironically, we ha- I mean over the years. It- We've actually come full circle. So what we've actually found is a lot of the stuff that we were using when we first set out obviously has, has come and gone. And we've tried we've tried the latest and the greatest, and we've tried different saucepans. We've tried lighter or smoother or different materials. Um, and what we've found in the last two years is that what we're now using is actually much more akin to the stuff that we were using when we initially set out. Um, the saucepan, the pots and pans, you know, the everyday cooking stuff. 
um, rather than going for titanium because it's super light. You know what? You already are on a heavy motorcycle, uh, and the benefits of just using good quality, if slightly heavier gear, um, it just makes life that much easier. Um, the benefits greatly outweigh anything to do with a little added extra weight. Um, we've gone back to the uh, the Dragonfly stove, which is the our little old camp stove. Um, it'll it'll burn any fuel. And it's just worked brilliantly for us um, in every country we've cooked with. And we never run out of fuel uh, because we actually use the uh, fuel from the motorcycles. Do you so find there's no possibility? Do you find that the the uh, you've probably used the odor of it, but you get that odor of uh, that you're burning gasoline or um, petrol. It, do you find that bothers you at all? Well, we never get any kind of odor or flavor of the gasoline in the food, um, and as long as you're cooking outside. Um, actually, so we there isn't an awful lot of gasoline fumes from the camp stove because this is a pressurized container. So when you actually turn the camp stove on, it's actually just burning the vapor, not the fuel. So that so it's actually almost impossible for you to get any whiff of the fuel because that's that, the actual vapor is what's being burned and being turned into heat to cook with. The only fuel vapor you'll get is when you put mm-hmm. the fuel into the canister when you begin to pressurize the uh, the canister before connecting it. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's also starting up and shutting off. We do the same thing. We, we burn gasoline yeah. in ours, but um, we do find that you just have that odor, that sort of fuel odor. I, we're used to it. It's not a big deal, but I know that some people, that's why people stick with white gas, but to me, white gas is so expensive and so difficult to, to find in some cases yeah. that um, it's not worth having. Yeah, I mean the white gas. If we if we can get it, you know, we'll we'll use it. It burns really cleanly, but normally we're not in an area or a region where that's just readily available. Um, and so we just got very used to you know wandering over and disconnecting one of the fuel lines. We put in a little bit of fuel, just enough to cook the meal, um, so there's nothing wasted. And get cooking, and then we pack up and head on into sleep. It's <laughs> it's just you know part of part of the ritual. Well, let's get some tips to give uh, people an idea of what they're going to find in the book. Let's get some tips as far as uh, as far as gear goes, as far as cooking gear goes. What what is a? I mean, you're talking about saucepans. Let's just run through. Maybe just give a, an overview of your basic kit that you recommend. Um, well, apart from the stove, which we've already spoken about, what's um, it called? The, it, the it's made by MSR. MSR. It's a it's a dragonfly. Dragonfly, yeah. Yeah, like that one because it's adjustable. It doesn't just go on a constant burn, uh, burn level. You can it actually, simmers. Yeah, you can turn yeah. it down, turn it up. So you can actually cook with it rather than just reheat. And that's the important thing when looking at a stove. Um, how, many, how many pans do you have? I only how carry two. Um, one is a, a two liter and the other one will fit inside that. And I think that's a 1.2. I actually like carrying a normal frying pan. Um, I find it a lot more sturdy. Um, it's, I think it cooks a little better too. Uh, sometimes the, um, yeah, it actually is a lot cheaper. The, the frying pans that you can find out there, the proper frying pans for camping, cooking, um, are beautiful, but very expensive. Uh, so I've just been picking up since we started uh, cheap ones from markets. Um, usually about five dollars. 
I don't use the non-stick saucepans. I, I prefer just the, the stainless steel, and you can then give them a really good scrub, and there's no, no worry about that. Lisa, Lisa came out of a shop a couple of years ago, and she came out with these large sheets of colored plastic, for want of a better term. Um, they were only a couple of millimeters thick. And so she went and got a small chopping board, laid a chopping board onto each of these, made a stencil, cut them out. And so what she ended up with were three or four thin pieces of plastic, uh, each one a different color, that's now slide down inside her pannier. And so she uses a different colored, again, they're easily washable and you can wipe them down. Um, she uses a different colored pieces of plastic board to identify whether she's cooking fish or meat or something else. And they're just basically mini hygienic cutting boards. And because they're plastic and not organic, you just wipe them down with a antibacterial wipe, wet wipe and you're good to go. And in case I haven't been able to clean them as well as I would like, I know that I'm not going to be suddenly uh, contaminating my other meat. So a piece of chicken, I'm not going to be cutting on some board that I've had a, a slab of um, lamb on there or anything like that. So it, it is important to think about those things as you're going along. But to have the, the very, very thin ones, they're a lot easier to carry than some of the thicker ones that you can buy in camping shops. And we've got a couple of We've got, a, we've got a couple of friends who decided to put wooding, wooden cutting boards on their back of the bike. The problem is wood's organic, so it also absorbs contaminants, um, any, any, any kind of airborne um, pollutants that you're driving or riding through are going to settle on that board. Um, that just, to me, sounds like a bad idea as opposed to pulling out a piece of clean plastic, wiping it down and getting to work. And the thin plastic, you put it on something like a pannier lid or something as a backing? Yeah, exactly that. I mean, we set up one of the two bikes that becomes Lisa's kitchen. Uh, The stove goes on the back of the bike, which means that she's not bent over or, you know. I always, always prefer to to cook standing up. Obviously, it's not always possible. But um, um, for me, I I like to move around a lot when I'm cooking. Yeah, just using the pannier (laughs) lids as a work surface. One pannier lid is for food and cutting, etc. One area is for is for cooking, and then normally Lisa reserves one surface for a drink. <laughs> so, what other gear? Um, yeah, I prefer to take a slightly larger knife than a a, a normal uh, eating utensil um, size, um, and I just carry. Uh, a knife to prep food with and then of course you can eat with it too you don't need a separate knife one to prep and one to eat with one of my favorite things that you carry that i made fun of you for buying what was that you make fun of a lot of things that i buy i know (laughs) do you remember that absolutely tiny grater well it was a grater for uh nutmeg the little tiny weenie graters that you can get with a nutmeg shoved in there as a little gift in the top of a uh, a cup as a, a Christmas present. It turns out sort of fits also, in the palm of your hand. Yeah, yeah. tiny one. But it turns out it's great for things like hard cheese. Um, it turns out it's great for um, hard pieces of chocolate to decorate a dessert. Well, what what is the key to it? What is the key to all of this? Being organized. I think it's being organized and not being a, uh, afraid to try, uh, to try different produce. Um, one of the things I love about our travel um, is that you go uh, through different 
countries, there are different types of food. You may not really know what you're picking up, um, but try anyway. For me, that is part of the traveling. I mean, being I, adventurous I, with food. Being adventurous, fun. yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, there are certain parts um, in, in the world where you can passed by a lot of uh, food stores such as Thailand, etc. But I still enjoyed cooking in Thailand because of the availability of produce, or beautifully fresh, lots of fish. And it was fun to try and replicate um, some of the things that we'd eaten on the road that day and see if I could get it quite right. But also so many, I mean, Asia is a great example, so many of the ingredients that would be very hard to find or would be just extremely expensive to buy at your local supermarket are so readily available and so cheap in Asia that it's just good fun to grab them, talk to the stall owners, find out what these are, get their advice as to how to cook them properly, um, and then go back to the to the tent and and have fun, have fun prepping, have fun cooking, have fun having a drink, and then have fun eating it and packing it away. For us, I think food is very a very big part of our of our travels of our journey well, and how also, we interpret countries that we travel through. For me, the the cooking, the prepping, uh, that that's all part of the end of the day wind down. Um, I find it very relaxing and enjoyable, and invariably it it attracts other people too. So. You, you might have a, a, a local that you sit down and talk to or, or another traveler. Or another traveler. Um, and food really does bring together people. So back to what you're saying about, the, you know, being a ritual. I mean, I think somewhere in the book here you said something about um, the markets. Walking through the food markets is a big part of what you guys consider to be a part of experiencing the culture that you're in. Yeah. Yeah, very, very much Absolutely. so. Absolutely. I think you really get a feel of a country when you go through its markets. Um, the, the, the smells of the spices um, are, are, are amazing. Um, looking at the different food types, the, the, the type of food that people are buying and, and often... Interacting with the vendors. Yeah, interacting and, and often with the other buyers too because they will usually smile very warily initially and then I'll be poking at some kind of vegetable and then they will speak to me not in English, of course, and then just tell me exactly what it is and what they do with it. And I try to pick out the odd word here and there. And often we just end up with a group of people talking to us, trying to say, well, this is the best way to cook. And no, I cook it like this. And the, then the, the the stall seller goes, this is the best way. I know better. And you can see that this is going on. You might not understand all of the words. And it, it's it's like a, a different different community when you get together talking in a market about well, food. Also, in, in the food markets, you, you don't have these barriers of, well, you're a foreigner and I'm a local, or you're a traveler, or you're just somebody who's buying groceries that you're going to go back somewhere and cook. Um, you've, got, you've got a local housewife who just sees Lisa as, okay, I can see your husband loitering around in the background. I'm guessing he's your husband. It's just wives together or husbands together. It's just people enjoying food um, and one of the great things about food is it breaks down all those barriers all those issues um, and yeah going up going about the markets and, and picking up items that I mean some of the fruit again we saw in Asia and you're going well I've seen this in a book but what is it and what does it taste like and how do I even cut into it we've had so many conversations start and so many friendships continue that started around food Lisa, Simon, thanks very much and good luck with this book. 
Jim, an absolute pleasure. Thanks, mate. Talk to you soon. Bye. And that was Simon and Lisa Thomas from To Ride the World. You can find out more about their Dirty Dining Cookbook by uh, dropping by their website, www.toridetheworld.com. And of course, look them up on Facebook. And I think you can start pre-ordering that book very soon. And of course, all those links will be in our show notes. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to be right back. Stick around because we got a lot more coming up. Well, here's a name that you want to remember, Road Dog Publications, because Mike Fitterling of Road Dog Publication is bringing out incredible books for us motorcyclists, including the newest one out, In Search of Greener Grass. Graham Fields' book is now available in North America. Now, this is a, this is a remake, this version. They've taken uh, the, the, the original book that Graham published himself and added photographs to it, updated the cover, all, all different things. But anyway, great book. If you haven't read Graham Fields' books, well, you're just missing out. You've got to go by and see it. You can, you can go to the, the website, RoadDogPub.com, but you can also get these books at your bookstores or through Amazon, um, even a, available on Kindle. Mike Fitterling, the owner of Road Dog Publications, also has a, a new book out called Northeast by Northwest, and um, that is also available in all those places. But Road Dog Publications also does other books. Zoe Cano's books, um, Southern Escapades and Bonneville Go or Bust. And I think Zoe has another one that's about to come out. Um, Asphalt and Dirt. Um, Just a a bunch of great motorcycle books. So you probably best drop by their website to see all the books that they have. www.rooddogpub.com And of course, if you're dealing with Mike, let him know you heard him here on Adventure Rider Radio. So I have a, an adventure motorcycle vacation idea for you. Grab a KLR 650 and explore the west coast of Canada in the U.S. Take as much time as you want. <laughs> it's your vacation. And a great way to do it is with one of our, our show sponsors, Tour USA. TourUSA.us is the website. And they've got the KLR 650 available for rental. And I was actually quite surprised at how inexpensive it is to rent a motorcycle. I never realized that before, which makes it perfect for if you live if you live somewhere else, you jump on a plane, you fly out there, you grab a bike, you go off on your adventure, and then you go back home again. It's like you can pack a full adventure in an amazing place to ride for uh, in, in a small amount of time and, and for not much money. They also have the BMW F800. They've got the F700, the R1200. They do lessons and they do tours. So if you want to just go take a tour with them, you could do that. Um, but the neat thing is you're dealing with people who know adventure riding. They're adventure riders. TourUSA.us. Anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Music like that always makes me think of Graham Field. And Graham is one of the people you're going to hear in this next clip. This is an excerpt from our other show called ARR Raw. And in case you didn't hear this or are unaware of it, ARR Raw is a roundtable discussion that we do once a month with Graham Field, Sam Manicom, Shirley Hardy Ricks, Brian Ricks, Grant Johnson, and myself. And we talk about all things uh, motorcycle travel, all aspects of it. It's raw, it's unscripted, it's, it's very little editing, it's noisy, funny at times, sarcastic. It's got all those things. And a matter of fact, we don't even know what each episode is going to turn out like until it's actually done. It's a different show than this completely. So you need to download separately. You need to subscribe separately than this one. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Click on the raw button for more information. 
Now, to set up this episode that you're going to hear, this is from episode number eight, which is back in August 2016. We ended up talking about food and cooking tips, which is why we have it on here. There's some really good tips and everybody had something to add to it. And you'll probably get a lot from this. The first voice you're going to hear is from Graham Field. Now, at the time, Graham was in the hospital getting treatment for a sciatic nerve problem to do with his leg, which ended up being much more than that. But that's another story. And what he's doing is he's lamenting about his experience with the food that he was being forced to eat at the hospital. Luckily, I have got something. To uh, I, the, the other issue with is is the food issue. Last time I was here, for it's kind of funny that, that you order your food and um, whatever you order or was ordered for me, which was chicken and potatoes, came comes at twelve o'clock. Two plates of it, one for lunch and one for dinner, and I got chicken and potatoes for nine days, and I, I haven't been out to get anywhere. And first, I was oh yum, this is kind of nice, and the next day I was picking at it. And that, last time I was here, it was winter time. There's a lot of snow on the ground. I'm on the tenth floor, and uh, I was throwing it out to the stray cats because they were telling me off, saying you've got to eat, you've got to eat. I'm not eating this. So I was throwing it out for the stray cats in the end. But, um, so the point is what I did this time is I bought a bunch of food with me and uh, just some breakfast stuff and some fruits and everything. And today, with my Swiss Army knife, I was cutting open a roll, cutting up some tomato and cutting up some cheese. And as I was doing that, I thought, this isn't unlike a pannier snack. This is the sort of thing that I would pull out the side of the road, chop up on the side of a pannier and eat. And then that made me think, I wonder what some good tips for pannier snacks are. I generally do have tomato and cheese. I, once I get sort of real Germany and then east of Germany, all the shops all sell these sort of Polish sausages. There's all types of those, and I really enjoy them. I never quite know what I'm getting. They vary in taste. And I mean, you, you can be a connoisseur of these things because sometimes there's like shelves, like, I don't know, five meters long with all these varying ones, but they're always good. So they're things that are always in my sort of roadside spontaneous pannier snack um, case and uh, I was just wondering if anybody else had some good tips on what what they uh, take for those little snacky times I gotta say I am so glad you came up with I mean, you you and I must be on the same same wavelength at some level because I had one pot meals that I was talking about feeding the body on trips is exactly it a great subject <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I Sam you have to have special one-pot meals. One-pot meals, the reason I say one-pot meals is because, as everybody knows, I think, for, for the most part, um, you've got to have something that's simple to make. Usually you're going to have one burner when you're on your bike, and you've got to be able to cook it all in one burner or one pan or whatever it is that you're carrying. And you want to keep it simple too, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, Burgess and I cooked uh, a meal for 11 with one pot and um, our burner one time when we were in um, Guatemala, actually. We were staying in a backpackers hostel and it got to dinner time and everybody was saying, well, let's go out to eat. None of us have got any food. And Berger and I said, well, we've got a stack of stuff. Come on, we'll just get cooking. And um, our one pot meal was fairly standard for us, a stack of pasta. You can pick up pasta just about anywhere in the world. Tomato paste, you can pick that up anywhere in the world. Onions, garlic, likewise with those. Tins of tuna. We always buy the tins of tuna which are in oil. 
because we can use we can drain that oil off into um, the pan and we can fry the onions and fry the garlic before mixing everything else in um, and any other thing that local that we've managed to pick up fresh peppers and that sort of stuff and um, we'll uh, you, we'll buy packets of um, you know instant cup of soup and you can buy those in them um, all over the world too and um, just mix it all together, use the cup of soup as a sauce, and um, hey presto, you've got a, a really good filling meal. And if you can buy some fresh vegetables and so on, which you normally can, then yeah, very healthy cooking. Yeah, the big thing is, is trying to keep it down as far as the number, like I said, of pots that you're you're going to use. So the one pot thing is absolutely fantastic. I was going to say, Grant, what were you shopping for mainly for meals? We'd shop for just about whatever was available to a large extent. Um, we'd see, oh, that looks interesting. Haven't had that for a while, so we'll make something out of that. Uh, we're pretty flexible. I think uh, the, the basic is we always had some um, macaroni noodles, things, something like that, so you could have quick pasta. And with pasta, you can toss just about anything in the way of vegetables in. Uh, if you've got some meat, you can chop that up and toss it in, and it's all good one pot. It works really well. A uh, can of tomato sauce and you're away. Or tuna, we always had cans of tuna for sure. Mm. Uh, occasionally salmon, you can find it. Uh, but tuna is really a, a real staple a lot of times. Um, we always had, were able to buy bread. So we always, Susan's favorite is Nutella. She always carried a can of Nutella. Once she discovered Nutella, it was wonderful. Um, I always go for a can of uh, peanut butter. Uh, that's always good energy. Quick, easy, simple, and it keeps really well. Mm. So those would be kind of our, our favorites, but mostly it was what is the local market got that we think we might be able to make something out of? Mm. I think you, you don't try you don't want to get into stuck into something uh, particular always the same thing. You get really really bored of your own cooking, which is where you end up going to restaurants a lot, uh, which ends up adding to your costs for traveling. So just being flexible and eating local and saying, oh, I haven't seen one of those for a while. Let's have some of that and we'll make something with that. You got to be flexible and open. And kind of go with what the local cuisine is. Uh, depending on where you are, you may find in, in Tunisia you'll have certain kinds of foods are available and popular and there's that kind of spice. And then you'll be in Zimbabwe or Argentina and, oh, Argentina, I guess we're in Argentina. It's going to be lots of meat, different kinds of meat. And then you're really scrounging hard trying to find some vegetables. Uh, but uh, I think flexibility and trying to do something remotely similar to local food so that you're kind of into the local instead of being stuck on your food. I'm always reminded of this um, people, somebody met in, I think it was Namibia, some people from a Northern European nation who had driven all the way from Europe to Namibia and they were still eating their own food from their country and proud of it. And I think, oh my dear, that, that's just so sad. You're not interfacing with the locals. You're not meeting the locals. You're not shopping with the lo in the local markets. You're not getting the local experience. You're not eating local food. You're not you're not traveling. You're you're in your own little microcosm of your transplanted world, and that's just horrible. So I totally stuff. agree, Grant. Local local food and getting stuck into the local culture as a, um, through food is so important. You know, we we travelled or I travelled for a little while with a German guy, and he had both of his aluminium panniers full of meal-size Ziploc muesli bags with powdered milk mixed in. And yep. that was what he was living on, um, yep. three well, meals a day. 
here is a true story. A Canadian, I'm embarrassed to admit, a Canadian had the world's largest top box. And no, it wasn't mine because mine is not the world's largest. Uh, the world's largest top box full of freeze-dried food heading for South America. He had enough for a year. Like I think I might have me? met him in Panama City. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay. In fact, so there I you have go. photographs of that top box. It was huge. Is there still, yeah. Was there still food in it at that point? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, this guy had a lot of um, a lot of food. Uh, you know, my attitude was, well, look, you know, if he wants to do it that way, then he's um, at least he's out on the road exploring and discovering and, and new things. And hopefully um, the world will corrupt him in the right way along the way. Yeah. He um, will learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When Birgit and I were in southern Argentina, we'd pulled into a camping site and um, uh, Greg Frazier was on the camping site. And um, after we set up the tent and um, Greg sort of wandered over towards us and um, had a, a, a few brief words and then said, are you hungry? Well, yeah, um, I've got a snack, he said. And he discovered that um, in many small supermarkets in Argentina, you can buy by the gram um, cubed luncheon meat and olives. And you just sort of scoop it up and put it in a plastic bag and they weigh it and off you go. And that combined with vodka makes a very nice evening snack. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sounds like Greg. <laughs> we always carried um, curry powder with us and um, mixed herbs because mm -hmm. we felt we could turn an awful lot of very bland food into interesting things if we, if we had those things. Yeah, Susan's favorite is Mrs. Dash. I don't know. You can't get it everywhere, but Mrs. Dash is an amazing spice for just about everything. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. It's Where'd you get that? I was, I was, I was going to ask, where, what sort of staples are you carrying? If you are carrying staples, maybe go back to Graham because he's talking about cutting stuff up on your pannier, which lunches, yeah, you want, you want to be, you know, you want to keep it very simple. But um, what sort of staples are you carrying, Graham? Well, actually, I don't take a stove anymore. Um I can't cook at home, so I don't know what made me think I could cook on the road. I've tried the MRS stoves. I've tried the Primus stoves. I've never had a stove that I've got on with. They've always been a pain in the ass. They've required cleaning. They've leaked. They haven't worked. I know it's just my experience, but I've not got on with stoves. Then you've got to have your, your pans, and you've got to have your washing up liquid. Then you've got to have your sponge. Then you've got to have your silverware. Then you've got to have your actual food, your, confident, uh, your condiments. Then you've actually got to know how to cook. And I, so... Sod it. I save all that space and I don't do that now. I'm not a person who can't function in the morning without a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. I can drink water. It's fine. So if I do wild camp and I like to wild camp, I, like I say, well, like Grant was saying, for the supermarkets, just what's ever local, try and have some fruit. So I've got some tomatoes, bananas, and meat and, uh, and always bread. And actually, the more stale it is, the easier it is to carry because it doesn't crush. And then I've got muesli bars, I've, my emergency muesli bars, which quite often come home with me because I always wonder if I might have a bigger emergency than the one I'm having at the moment. And so maybe I should save it until the next emergency. <laughs> so really, quite often, breakfast has a strong resemblance to what dinner was. But I'm on my own. I've only got myself to worry about. Camping solo is not really a joy. So you tend to, if you have found a place, it's because of the scenery, because of the sunset, because of the river. And I've got more time to indulge in that. I eat to stop myself feeling hungry. The next morning, if I really need something, I've got a muesli bar. And at the next town, I'll stop and have some breakfast. If I'm not wild camping, then there is 
um, a restaurant or somewhere to eat around. And I'm not necessarily a restaurant person, but there's always street food. There's always places where the local meet. And if you said, you know, that is one of the wonderful experiences about the country is discovering their food. How anybody could go through Central America with freeze-dried food and miss out on all that food. It's one of the <laughs> highest, highest joys of Mexico and Guatemala and, and that. So, um, so no, I, so I, I take enough to sustain me, but Cooking is not something I enjoy, not something I'm good at. So I don't have a way of heating food or take food that needs heating. I think that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Don't you make tea or coffee at all, though? Well, I used to when I carried a stove, and that was all I used it for. And like I say, I can live without. I can get up in the morning, drink some water, and ride for two hours before I really need it. I don't need it. I'm not one of these person who is a zombie until they've had their little morning hot drink ritual. So because I don't need it, I don't carry it. And if I'm capping with someone who has got it, then it's a real luxury that they make some coffee in the morning. But it's not a necessity to my day. So the hidden lesson there would be make a friend that has a cook set. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did travel with a guy actually um, in Ukraine. And I couldn't believe how little room he had in his panniers. They were absolutely packed. I think space is one of the most important things to have in your panniers. So when you do want to pick, stop and pick something up, we, we wild camp one night. And he made this amazing meal. He had a couple of two or three pots going and uh, and he had all these condiments and all these spices. And it was spectacular. It was something he got great amount of joy and satisfaction out of. And he said, you know, prior to being with me, he stopped at a lake for a couple of days just on his own. And he would spend three hours making a meal. Well, that's great. If that's where you get your fun, then absolutely not knocking it. But that's not where I get my fun. That is not something that I do. So wonderful when you come across those people. Um, and perhaps I could have picked up some tips, but instead I just wandered around and <laughs> ate when I was ready, <laughs> when it was ready. <laughs> I eat simply too when I'm, when I'm on the bike. I, I tend to not go overboard. I mean, I do like cooking good meals when I'm camping. It's fun. I do it all the time in different situations. But when I'm on the bike, I tend to be pretty simple with it so that it's it's the same as you. You know, you come into camp and something very basic. I do carry a small billy though, a small kettle, an MSR kettle and uh, and my stove. And quite often I'll just go with my, my wood stove rather than an MSR stove or anything like that. My little wood stove, I can pick up enough wood and, and get it going and make uh, coffee or tea and coffee is just, uh, you know, your instant stuff. But but I tend to be fairly simple with it too. We'll I was smiling when you guys are talking about this because this this last trip around the States, um, I bought one of these um, little tiny little gas cookers. Um, and normally I'll, I'll ride with petrol stove because, of course, then I've always got fuel on tap. Um, but in the States, hey, gas is fine. Um and um, over the seven weeks, I think I used this thing four times. Yeah. And sorry, Sam, I hate to rain in your parade, but those gas cylinders are horrible for the environment. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Petrol and one of the gasoline. reasons that we use... Sorry, Grant. Sorry, I was going to say petrol or gasoline out of your tank is definitely the preferred way to go. It's certainly a lot easier and you can replace that anytime, whereas the... Uh, butane pet uh, propane cylinders are such a pain to replace and every country has a different standard it's also yeah. easy to meter too you know how much fuel you have when you're using gas or even if you use white gas but i, I wouldn't use white gas but if you're using gasoline you know how much fuel you have you know how much you can use whereas the cylinder you screw it on and you think there's some in there and you get part way through your meal or almost through cooking your meal and the thing dies and you don't have a backup yeah, yeah. Um, no, i totally agree um petrol is the way to go yeah 
I was going to say that uh, for us, we found that we never cooked breakfast. We never even bothered getting the stove out for breakfast. We always just did uh, some kind of muesli, cereal, whatever. Um, we always carried powdered milk, which worked great. New Zealand powdered milk is the best and available all over Africa. And um, mix that with a little water. If you can pick up some fruit at the local market, wash that and away you go. That would be a great breakfast, maybe with some bread and peanut butter or Nutella as your choices dictate. And then we just make sandwiches on the road for lunch. Um, or if we were in a town, we'd definitely eat in a restaurant of some kind, street food, whatever, and then cook for dinner. And that worked pretty well for us. And the, the, I think the reason for not cooking in the morning was we didn't have to clean up again, which means that it takes you a lot longer to pack. Just cleaning a couple of bowls and toss them in your kit and away you go. It's much quicker to get rolling in the morning than getting out the stove and cleaning up and major operation to just, just to have breakfast. It's just, you know, like such a waste of time. I'm gobsmacked, Grant. I thought that you would be a real fan of the full Canadian breakfast. Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> Let's not talk about full English. I've had, uh, when we were at the Hub UK meeting, I had a full English breakfast every morning. If I don't see another full English breakfast until next year, it'll be too soon. <laughs> what is the full, what's the full English breakfast? Sam, tell them. <laughs> well, a full English breakfast, funnily enough, I'll give you some history first. A full English breakfast um, was actually developed by the Romans. And, and this is true. The squaddies, um, the Roman squaddies, they used to carry as part of their packs bacon and they would scavenge for whatever they could get along the way on their marches. So eggs and mushrooms and, you know, that sort of stuff. And that was how the full English breakfast developed. So a, a full English breakfast, if you get in the, the full whammy, then you've got some thick cut bacon, sausages, baked beans, fried eggs, fried potato, mushrooms, um, and yeah, nowadays you'll find hash browns creeping in, but I don't think that's full English. That's um, that's a bit, a bit of American um, coming in too. Um, wow. But you eat one of those and you can keep going until dinner time. But we never have um, anything other than what Grant's just been describing for breakfast. It's too much fag. You know, you've got a day coming up to ride, so let's get on with it. But the time we do cook meals um, is particularly when it's cold. Um, then we'll aim to have a hot meal in us at the end of the day. And um, the other time that we use our stove a lot is for boiling water. We tend not to use water purifying tablets um, yeah. and not anymore carry the weight of um, a, uh, a pump for cleaning water. So we'll arrive at a, um, wherever we're going to camp. And the first thing that um, happens is that the billy will go on and um, make a cup of tea while we're putting the tent up. And then we'll be boiling the water for our bottles for the next day. And um, that works. That works very well. Yeah. Inside my my little teapot, what I do is I put in my oatmeal that I'll have for breakfast. If I'm going to have something, my instant coffee, um, some tea bags, and all that all that stuff, including my my creamer for my coffee because I take creamer with it, but I don't take sugar. Um, put that all inside the the teapot, and it's in a ziploc so I can pull it out. And it's quite a compact little unit, and you can put really about five days worth of stuff in there, at least for for breakfast. That works. Keep it simple is the best thing for breakfast, I think. Trying to do a major is just too much work. And that was an excerpt from episode eight of ARR Raw. And of course, you can find that where podcasts are downloaded or on our own website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Click on the Raw button. Coming up next, we've got Era Gregian, who is a trained professional chef. He's been traveling around for, I think, 10 years with his dog, Spirit, 
in the sidecar of his motorcycle, and he's got some great cooking tips. Stay with us. We're going to be right back in just a second. You know, I think wider foot pegs is something that you actually have to try before you realize how valuable it is. I mean, I always understood the concept, but really I thought pegs, well, that's something you do when you have a little bit extra money. Maybe I stumble across a cheap set. Yeah, okay, I'll throw them on my bike. But five minutes after I mounted the IMS rally foot pegs, I was blown away with the difference in control of my bike. And after an hour or so of riding, I realized that that was the first mod I should have done to my bike. And it will be that when I get another bike, that's going to be the first mod I'm going to look at is foot pegs. It gives you that much difference in your control of the motorcycle when you're standing on your pegs, control and contact. I highly recommend to try larger pegs on your bike. And my experience with the IMS pegs has been great. They're made in the USA. They're cast certified stainless steel. They're heat treated, designed and tested by racers. IMS has a a full line of pegs as well. They don't just have one set that's wider. They've got everything from a little bit wider to a huge one, uh, a couple of them. Anyway, drop by their website to have a look, www.imsproducts.com. That's www.imsproducts.com. And do us a favor, anytime you're dealing with them, just mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Garagian is a five-star chef as well as a motorcyclist. He was trained in a culinary school in Switzerland. He's owned various restaurants and a bakery. He's also been a professional chef. He spent the last 11 years traveling around the United States on his motorcycle with a sidecar attached. And in that sidecar is his pit bull dog, Spirit. He's pretty well known around in the motorcycle community. Cooking is obviously one of Era's passions, it still is, so who better to get some tips from than somebody who's been trained professionally and then spent all this time cooking from a motorcycle. On his website, Era has links to what he calls one-pan meals, and uh, some of his recipes are available for sale or by download. And Era's idea of a one-pan meal isn't like throwing it all in a pan and turning up the heat and hoping for the best and you know ending up with a, a one-pot glop is what I refer to it as. He talks about timing and creating a full meal in one pan. It's pretty interesting. And he's also got some great tips on the tools that he uses as well. Era, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Thank you. And today we're going to talk about something that I know, well, I don't know if it's, it is close to your heart, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly something you're trained professionally for, but, but cooking was a big part of your life for many years. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it still is, you know, I still enjoy cooking a lot. You know, I've done it for over 50 years, which makes me sound very old now, but uh, yeah, it's always been a passion. Well, I figured it was because you've got recipes on your website and tips for cooking uh, while on the road. A lot of them are listed as one-pan recipes. What exactly is that? They're one-pan recipes, meaning, first of all, cooking is physics and chemistry. 
So there's an order to cooking. The bottom line being what takes the longest is going to be cooked first. And then what takes a little shorter time is added. For example, let's say, by the way, cooking on a motorcycle with a motorcycle is a good time to turn into a vegan (laughs) (laughs) or a vegetarian. But uh, most of the time, if you're near a little market and you do want to buy some meat or chicken or whatever, and you can ask the guy to put it on ice. And you can use that at night, at camp, or the next day. And that's also according to the weather. The, the weather can be our friend or it could be our enemy. You know, if it's 100 degrees out there, that's not too good to, to store perishable. If it's in the 60s, and you have a, a really good cooler. And so going back to a recipe, let's say you're making a, a rice with chicken and some herbs and vegetables. You're going to start by doing the chicken, okay, with oil. I never used butter. Well, I use G, which is clarified butter, which does not need refrigeration. Uh, So you do the chicken, and once the chicken is uh, about halfway cooked, um, then you add the rice with the water, you know, one cup of rice to two cups of water. Then you cover that. You cook that a little bit more. Uh, You want to add vegetables. This is all in one pan. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to add your vegetables, uh, add them uh, about eight. 10 minutes before it's done. So you lift it, put your vegetables on top, uh, put your herbs, if you have some cilantro or parsley or bottled spices, just throw all that in there, cover and let it cook till it's done. So now you have a one pan recipe. And if you don't have cilantro, don't worry about it use something else, use some mint, use some thyme, use oregano, use, if you don't have chicken, you want to use some pork, that's okay. You know, you don't have white rice, you want to use brown rice, that's okay too. Do you, do you know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, now I, I'm just understanding what your one pan idea is, is that obviously it's just what you're saying. It's, it's cooking everything in the one pan. So you're starting it with the chicken and, and adding the rice and yeah. the veggies. That, that's a great way to do it. So it is truly yeah. one pan. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's yeah. not a, and it's not a glop meal either. Because I think what it is, is from my adventure background, you think of one pot cooking, people often refer to for canoeing, for instance. And it's really what it is, is like stew. You basically throw everything in and you end up with a stew, but that you're going to end up with yeah. a meal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you have you have to be there, you know. You can't. Uh, I mean, you can make a stew, but a stew you can just put it on the fire and walk away. Sure. This you have you have to be there, you know. You have to to uh, for many they have you have to time it, you know. I don't time things because I've been doing it for too long. And as far as cooking itself, there's there's really a lot of factors that go in. Uh, because to me, cooking is nutrition. So one has to decide, are you going to do fresh food 
which, you know, throughout summer, especially up north, is great because you got a lot of vendor on the side of the roads. Uh, or you're going to do canned food. And the other uh, factor also is the weather. Um, if it's really hot, you're going to be more limited. If the weather is cool, you're going to be able to carry more stuff. Eggs don't go bad quickly. There's cheeses like Parmesan, cheddar, feta cheese. I mean, we lived seven, eight years, nine years without refrigeration, and it was very easy, um, especially in the summer when you go up in altitude. I remember being in Wyoming, and we went up this one trail, one mountain, and um, found a space to camp where there was a lot of snow <laughs> and I was so excited I went back to town I went food shopping and put everything in the snow <laughs> yeah a refrigerator <laughs> even if it was outside <laughs> yeah yeah refrigeration is overrated in this country yeah I think so too we find the same thing we've went with our refrigeration too like for instance when we travel in the summertime and you realize that very quickly you get used to it and I mean other than the fact that you don't have a cold drink out of the fridge or something like that, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's not. Um, as far as shopping goes, categories, you know, there's dry spices that I always carry, which, of course, I don't care for, but it's convenient. Um, there's other things, uh, mainly rice. I do a lot of rice. Uh, I don't do much potatoes because potatoes take forever to cook unless they're sliced real thin. Um, I do pasta, which is great because you can use the hot water from the pasta to wash your dishes, which some people frown upon, but why not? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, especially if it's you're tight for water. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And camping near water, now that's luxury. You know, you got a stream going and you got your water filter. When you're when you're playing, I mean, you lived from your motorcycle for many years, so you don't really plan. It's not like you're going on a vacation, you know, for a week and planning meals. That's a little bit different. But do you, do you plan ahead of time as far as the way you shop? Do you say, okay, well, tonight I'm going to have this meal, the next night I'm going to have that meal, the next night I'm going to have that meal, and and shop accordingly, or do you just have your your staples there, and then if you come across something, you go, oh, that looks like a good idea. I'll have chicken, or I'll have uh, whatever tonight. Yeah, that's that's the way I've always cooked. So staples first, and then and then from that you make whatever you want to have. Exactly. When I'm shopping uh, up to today, I have no clue what I'm going to make. And there, there's also a financial uh, side of it because again, traveling is different than living on the road. Um, you know, the couple that's traveling for the weekend, obviously, they have a different budget than I do living on the road. Sure. So I generally buy, you know, what's on sale. And uh, if cosmetically it doesn't look perfect, I don't care because I'm going to cook it. Um, so what kind of staples do you have, though? Like, so if you were to give somebody a, a list of staples, say, this is what should work for you, what would you give them? Well, I, I carry my staples in... Gear pods, gear pods. Those are tubes, which actually you can find at Home Depot. They're cylinder tubes with 
covers that unscrews, you know? Mm-hmm. And I carry a lot of rice. And uh, I carry beans and pasta. Beans, not like you're talking canned beans? No, no, fresh beans. Oh, I see. Um, if you buy Anasazi beans, uh, which sometimes are hard to find, uh, they don't require to be soaked and they cook in half the time. Um, those are those are the main staples that I'll, I, I carry oatmeal. Um, I do overnight oatmeal a lot. You ever done o- overnight oatmeal? No, I don't know what that is. It's a, and you're obviously you're not talking instant oatmeal. I, I done, <laughs> era, I've done instant oatmeal. I've done a lot of that. <laughs> oh no, no. You see, I never buy instant stuff. Never, ever, ever. Which you know I could be criticized for because it's easy. You know, I mean, well, there's nothing really, easier than of course than open. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. For me, I mean, I get up in the morning, I pull my oatmeal, and it takes up no room in my saddlebag. I pull it out, <laughs> and, I th- and and I throw in my hot water to the kettle. I'm eating in minutes, and it's done. I'm, yeah, I'm on the yeah. road. <laughs> yeah, but you also have a lot of preservatives inside, oh, no and sodium, oh, and this it's... and that. Now, uh, overnight oatmeal is, you know, you get a little Tupperware, and before you go to bed, you put, uh, I don't know, a cup of old-fashioned oatmeal and you make a cup of milk with powdered milk because obviously you're not going to be able to carry milk and if you have found some fruit that day like strawberries or berries put that in there and just put it in your tent and overnight it will cook by itself Hmm. no heat without heat and in the morning, it's ready. And you heat it up in the morning, obviously. No. Oh, you just eat I, it cold. I, I, I eat it cold. It's not going to be cold. It's going to be at room temperature. You know, you have to compromise a little bit. I mean, you know, you're you're on the road. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the more elaborate you get, the more time you're going to be spending cooking and, and cleaning up. Yeah. And that yeah. brings me to sort of a one really important thing is tools and tips yeah. for staying clean while you're doing this or, or, or tools and tips to try and make the whole thing easier. As far as tools go, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to give the name of a brand. Oh yeah, definitely. Am I? Yeah. Okay. Um, it doesn't necessarily has to be this brand, but I use MSR stoves and I use the Dragonfly, which has an adjustable flame. Um, the one thing I'm personally against is those canisters. Mm, because, first of all, you got to find those canisters. You know, you're at 9,000 feet making coffee in the morning, and suddenly, boom, <laughs> you got no more fuel. Uh, I use white fuel. And the MSR, and uh, they have different jets. So you can use white fuel in those, you know, those red MSR bottles? Yeah. I generally carry about five bottles with me. They're affixed on the panniers. Um, You can use fuel, regular fuel. And you have a jet that you can use even diesel, which I never have, but you can why don't you use um, the one the jet that just burns regular fuel? 
I don't know. White fuel is cleaner. Yeah, it definitely is. It doesn't have the odor. You definitely get that exactly. that gasoline smell when you're when yeah, you're burning fuel. Yeah, yeah. I I have. I've had to. I've took the fuel hose off the GS and put some regular fuel, changed the jet, and yeah, you have that odor, odor which mm-hmm. you know I don't like that to be mixed. Um, I mean, they're 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 making some incredible utensils for camping these days you know all the collapsible silicone dishes when we're on a motorcycle we have to go with what uses less space like my i use a a number four coffee drip filter and i use the silicone cone you know which folds when you're done with your coffee Uh, you need a cutting board and it doesn't have to be big. Uh, you do need a good knife, one good knife. It could be a folding knife. All is convenience. So one great tool that's, to me, is one of the best tools in the kitchen and always has been, especially, you know, if you start dealing with fresh herbs and uh, even meat or chicken, is a good pair of scissors. Yeah, that's another one that uh, that I didn't expect. So how yeah. how are scissors handy in the kitchen? Well, instead of chopping, you cut, which means you're not dirtying the cutting board. Of course, you gotta if you're using scissors to cut chicken, for example, you do have to wipe your scissors with boiling water. Otherwise, you're gonna get salmonella eventually. Mm-hmm. Um. You don't need much. Uh, when I'm by myself, which is 99.9% of the time, I don't even use dishes. I eat right out of the pan. Mm. You gotta get a, You gotta have a covered pan. That's. I was helping a friend of mine who's up north right now to to buy some stuff because he wants to start cooking, and he just bought a frying pan. And I said, "Where's the cover, Chuck?" He goes, "What cover?" <laughs> <laughs> so you got to get a cover, buddy. Uh, and that's it. I right out of it. I mean, yeah. you're by yourself. Who cares? You know? What about rubber gloves? You you carry those. I use a lot of rubber gloves. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. You know, I generally carry quite a quantity of rubber gloves in a Ziploc bag. Because, again, it's the convenience of not having to wash my hands if I'm cooking meat, chicken, or fish. If I'm lucky enough that the guy put it on ice uh, doing garlic, uh, you can just take the gloves off and put them in your garbage bag, which is also a Ziploc bag. And don't get the gloves with the powder on it. Hmm. That's a really good point. Which gloves should you get? Um, I think they're the nitrile or nitrate or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's that's it. Is that is an amazing tip? Because Absolutely. Especially if you're short of water, because it just makes it a, a non-issue. I mean, you go ahead, you deal with it, and then you're yeah. done with the gloves. Not the best environmentally, of course. I mean, we understand that, but there's some sacrifices you have to make for not having that water there. Exactly. Exactly. Gloves. A little cutting board, one knife, scissors, 
one uh, one pot. Um, I gotta look at the brand of pot that I use. It's a uh, oh Primus Primus. Mm-hmm. You heard of Primus? Sure. Yeah, make stoves as well. Uh, right, right. Yeah, I've used the I've used the Primus stove also. Uh, Primus has a has a pot with a cover now, which underneath has um, I don't know how to describe it. Like the, there's a brand that used that design for their coffee pot. It's like accordion metal. And it cooks things much, much faster. Oh, I know. You mean the, the band like around the outside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like jet boil. Um, another shortcut sometimes, and but then again, you know, you have processed food and you have a lot of sodium, is, uh, is a frozen item, you know. If I'm camping in Canyonland, for example, and I'm going through Moab, I'll stop at city market, get a couple frozen items. Um, you know that gives you a good twenty-four hours to use that product the next day, and it also doubles as ice to keep other things cool. Any other tips for tools or or techniques? Uh, one one cool tip is I ended up getting a little toolbox. I mean, a really small toolbox, you know, one of those slimline toolbox. Mm -hmm. And that was my kitchen. You know, I started with a big toolbox. You mean for your kitchen gear you're talking about? You started with a big toolbox full of kitchen gear. For the kitchen gear, Uh, you know, like, I don't know, three knives, the garlic press and this and this and that. And then slowly you realize that, hey, I can do without this. I can do without that. Um even the cutting board i took one of those flexible cutting boards and i cut it to fit in that toolbox uh ziploc bags are pretty cool to carry that that's a that's a big savior ziploc bags and again it's not that good for the environment the one tool that i really loved but now i don't use it is the lemon press because i don't use salt in my cooking at all uh, I use lemon juice or lime juice. That, that's a that's a staple that I carry. Lemon out. or lime is a, is a substitute for salt. Yeah, lime or lemon juice. Okay. And I always carry a couple lemons with me, also for the fact that if you burn yourself, uh, put some lemon juice on the burn, and that that really? will heal. You you won't blister. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know about lemon on on a burn. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that should be part of the first aid kit always. Wow, that's neat. Oh. That's an interesting one. Well, that's a lot of good tips. Thank you very much, Era. Okay, you're welcome, Jim. You're welcome. And that was Era Gregian, who's been traveling around for many years in his sidecar with his dog, Spirit. And uh, you can find out more about Era and what he does by visiting his website, www.theoasisofmysoul.com. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. 
Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks, of course, to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much. Hey, if you'd like to help out the show, simply drop by our website www.adventureriderradio.com click on the donate button anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you anything $50 or more is going to get you a mention on Raw we get a bunch of things in between we also signed up for the Patreon after a bunch of people have suggested it to us so we'd love it if you'd drop by that website um, just follow the links from ours and you'll be able to look at the different options available and remember, you can drop by our website at any time and listen to any of the episodes absolutely for free. And that goes for ARR Raw as well. And of course, you can download them through any place that you get your podcasts at. If you find a place where we're not listed, please let us know. My name's Jim Martin. See you next week. This is Dr. Gregory W. Frazier, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey!